Sickness in Time by M.F. Thomas and Nicholas Thurkettle Narrated by Roseanne Sinclair Chapter 5 And that was it? Leah asked. He asked you some questions and then told you to leave? Yeah, Maria said, throwing up her arms as she paced around the little living room. He sets me up like he's interviewing me for this job, and then he just says, that's all, see ya. And then he gives me this yard sale in, like, Maine that I'm supposed to go to next month. Maine? Why? He said I have to buy this painting there before 10.30 a.m., only to get there before 10.30, I'd have to leave here at 6. What's so special about the painting? Leah was watching TV, a colorful cartoon with the sound off. He wouldn't tell me that either, just said to buy it and bring it to him. How does he know about a yard sale happening in Maine next month? Is it like a really big yard sale? I didn't think people announced those far in advance. You know what I think? Maria planted her feet by the window, looking out through the glass. The lamps hadn't come on yet and the kids were being called in from the street. I think it's some relative of his. The painting is some stupid heirloom, some stupid cousin got in a will or something. And now Dr. Weldon Qualls is using me as an errand girl because he thinks I've got nothing but time on my hands. You think it's maybe a test? Leah asked. What do you mean? Well, you always read about professors doing weird tests on people. Where you think you're interviewing for a normal job, but instead something strange happens and it's just a test how you react to it. Leah, that doesn't make any sense. Everything about this is strange. Leah sunk further into the couch. I'm just saying, those tests creep me out. I'm going for a run, Maria announced. And she did. Eight miles. It was excruciating. It was great. Maria didn't talk about the trip to Princeton or the yard sale for several days after that. Life took on a little of its old rhythm. Leah worked out two days in a row, and Maria took her to counseling when she was available to. Maria didn't drink and didn't crash her plane. She didn't go camping either. That urge seemed to be temporarily on hold, like the marker owned her camping habit now. This struck a spark of irritation inside her that seemed to grow each time she thought of it. Of all the things he could have asked me to do, she thought, why did he have to ask me to do nothing and wait? On a Tuesday night, she went to a strip mall Italian place that had become a regular stop. It wasn't classy, just six tables with clear plastic over the tablecloths for easy cleaning. And it was New Hampshire. So how much could they seriously know about real Italian food? But Maria wasn't particular about cuisine. She liked the pizza well enough. The only alcohol around was those carafes of cheap wine that didn't tempt her at all. And the TV seemed to show soccer games 24 hours a day. Maria wasn't especially excited about soccer, but seeing how excited it made other people there comforted her. She had her pizza and her soda, doing the nearest thing to relaxing she could. A lot of pizza for one little lady. 
the hard, flat vowels smacked of generations in New England. Maria looked to the source of the voice, a not-really-handsome, not-really-trim man in a windbreaker over a polo shirt. He looked like a kid's soccer coach, not to mention extremely married, and he had a lot of teeth he was flashing at her. She just shrugged, not giving him anything. You, uh, you know how to work up an appetite, then. His grin seemed to pulse like a throbbing vein. There had been times for men in her life, lately, hadn't seemed like one of them. The price of fraternizing was way too high while she was in. Don't even look at your brother Flight, she remembered hearing during training. And since she gave up the booze, it just hadn't seemed like any fun. Still, nothing she did was enough to get herself left alone. Walking out her front door in possession of a vagina was enough for some guys. I bring the rest home for my roommate, she said, which was true. Leah would peel off the toppings and throw them away, and then peel off the cheese and eat it separately. It was a habit that annoyed Maria to a degree that was livable. Couple of girls living together, huh? You two like to have a good time? Oh, Jesus, Maria thought. This guy will make something out of everything. It was as subtle as slapping his wang on the tabletop. His eyes sparkled about two beers worth. He probably wrote a real good email today at work and feels like a stud. She looked over his shoulder. He had about three guy friends in the booth watching him and yucking it up, which made him the bravest of them, which was pretty sad. You should go home to your kids. Maria turned back to her soda and hoped for the best. The toothy guy stood there for a second, face flushing. He then leaned down and spoke in a whisper. I can see what you are. You're a puta. A sudden fire slammed Maria's fist into the table, and she stared at him with fury. He just laughed and backed up to his table, singing ba la 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 bamba She didn't storm out. The urge, too, was strong. But stronger at this moment was the urge to not show this asshole her back. She finished her soda, paid, packed up her leftovers, and took her sweet time going out the door, ignoring their calls. We need to get a new pizza place, Maria said as she dropped the leftover box on the table. Can we please turn on the damn light? Leah flipped the switch, and her other hand lingered on the doorframe for a moment, gripping it as if she feared a tornado would blow her out of the house. Why? What happened? Saw a cockroach running around. Maria opened the refrigerator out of habit, knew what she wanted wasn't there, slammed it shut again, and stalked back and forth in the four feet of space between walls. You can get pizza anywhere anyway. Okay, Leah said with one of those despairing sighs. Does my hair look pretty today? Kid, it looks outstanding. You're beautiful. Thank you. I like the length it's getting too. Jared never liked it long. That stopped Maria's pacing. Hey, what did I say about that asshole? You've got no reason to say his name. Dr. Morgan said I shouldn't give him more power over me by falsely denying his existence. Yeah, well, he's 500 miles away from you and your hair, 
And it's a good thing too, because I'll kill him if I see him. So it doesn't matter what he liked or didn't like, because it's your damn hair and you should make it a mohawk if you feel like it. Leah seemed to flatten back against the wall. You've never met him. How could you kill him? Maria watched Leah's face. The keen caution that was all over it. The way she was poised like a small animal getting ready to run. I'm sorry for popping off. This jerk was hitting on me today, and it just made me crazy. Drops appeared at the corner of Leah's eyes. That's not my fault. You shouldn't be mean. I know, I know, Christ, princess, you know that I would blow myself up before I'd hurt you, right? Leah nodded. She seemed so exhausted from sticking up for herself for five damn seconds. Maria approached slowly and reached out to hug her. Leah returned it with a sniffle. Shit, girl, Maria said. You want to play cards? Leah said okay. They walked into the living room. Maria added, You want to come to Maine with me? What, for the thing in a few weeks? Uh, let's just go tomorrow and get it done. I don't have to work. But if they're not having the yard sale yet, will they sell it? Won't it seem weird if we just show up at their door? We'll just pretend we're dykes out antiquing. Dykes do antiquing, right? That's a rude word. And I would be bad at lying about that. I know. You're way too sweet. You're the sweetest lady I've ever met. They busted out the cards, and that was their evening in. They left not long after sunrise. Leah had that cheap-as-hell little overnight wheelie bag with the padded floral print that Maria had seen her with the very first time they had met. She also had a tall thermos of tea. Her mouth was in that prim, straight line that was sort of like a smile on her face, and she had brought out the casual blouse she almost never wore. Maria felt underdressed in her tank top and bike jacket. Leah spent a lot of her time looking out the window, sometimes up to the sky if she saw birds. Maria couldn't help but wonder what went on inside her head. She was pretty sure Leah was the sharper of the two of them, but Leah was so messed up and scared that she barely spoke to anyone but Maria, so whatever good thoughts she had just bounced around in there. The bends in the road kept the trip from ever being too repetitive, and the colors were impressive. The sky wasn't so great, gray and wind-whipping. Leah seemed to like it. Did you think having her here would keep me away? The voice sounded really damn smug today. Hey, you got some of that tea, Maria said to Leah. Leah happily poured a small cup full. Maria stared with one hand as she sipped. The Hackenmiller family up in Maine seemed surprised to have two visitors. They did confess, though, that they had been setting things aside for a yard sale. The dad was filled out, like a high school lineman who'd let himself go. And there were a couple of chubby preteen boys with buzz cuts crashing around the backyard. The mom was the smallest of them and in charge. Her clothes looked as though she had learned how to mend them and make them last. 
I'd like a house like this, Leah said, as they creaked up the stairs to the spare room. Just a nice little house. If it's little you want, we've got littler than this, Maria teased. It seemed like a rare moment where Leah could take some kidding. There were three paintings set aside for sale in the spare room. Of course there were. Exasperated, Maria tried to remember the balance in her checking account as she offered to take all of them. Why do you want to get rid of them anyway? The mom cleared her throat, hesitated, and then finally spoke, her head jutting nervously as she did. Oh, uh, we just wanted to unload a few things. Money's been a little tight. Our youngest, Jeannie, she was pretty hurt bad in an accident and the bills have been hard. Leah didn't catch this was not a nice road to go down, but bless her, she tried to make conversation. Oh, you have a daughter? I didn't see her. Oh, she's, uh, she's at the Southern Beacon. That's the care center, you know. They keep better watch of her there. The mom was beginning to make manically friendly gestures, trying agonizingly hard to downplay the clearly open wound. The people there are really lovely. Have you ever been there? Maria shook her head and decided to get the hell out of there before she couldn't keep silent and ask what kind of accident it was. I think this one's the one, Leah said. She had decided to sit in back and peruse the paintings for the first stretch of the drive home. They're all nice, but this one's really nice. It's too bad the professor wants it. Do you think we could hang these other two up, though? Why did you ask about the daughter, Maria demanded. We should have just got out of there. Leah didn't respond, just kept looking at the three paintings. Can we pull over? Leah asked a minute later. All right, yeah, Maria replied, remembering that one of the turnpike plazas was just a few miles ahead. You want a snack? I can get you something while you're in there. That's okay. Thank you. The plaza building, long and low, reminded Maria of a train station. She munched some dry fruit while she leaned against the car, sometimes bumping her body restlessly against it. Accidents happen to everyone, the voice said. Yeah, don't I know it, Maria mumbled back, looking down at the concrete. Not all accidents are terrible, though. Maria turned and stared through the car window at the paintings in the back seat. None of them seemed like a big deal. Yeah, some people are lucky that way. So what? She's been a long time. Do you think she's in trouble? Maria stuffed the dried fruit into her pocket and ran into the building. One stall in the ladies' room was locked. Maria looked underneath and recognized Leah's little flat shoes that looked like bowling shoes. Waiting until the last other person left, Maria tapped lightly on the stall door. Hey, kid, you in there? I'm okay, Leah answered. I know you're okay. You're great. I just wanted to see if you're in there. There was a long stretch of silence. I don't want to go yet. Maria sighed and leaned against the wall. It's okay, princess. We can hang. I've got some snacks here. You want some? 
I really, really don't want to go. Nobody's saying you have to go. Maria heard a quiet, keening sound coming from the stall. Swearing to herself, she took a deep breath, got down on her belly, and crawled under the stall door. Leah was in there, sitting fully dressed on the toilet seat, squinting and hugging herself and making that sound, that quietly piercing noise. One fist had strands of her hair clenched in it. Maria got up into a squatting position on the floor and looked at Leah for a moment. They'd met in a group therapy session for survivors of trauma. Leah's bastard husband had knocked her around pretty bad, but even worse was the way he'd taken apart everything that could let her stand on her own two feet emotionally. She'd finally run away to a shelter and had been in therapy for over a year. They'd been treating her like a baby, giving her macaroni and paste to make things out of. Maria had pulled her into a card game. They talked. It became a habit, and soon they were housemates. It was then that Maria had stopped drinking. She reached out and hugged Leah. Ah, champ, it's okay. It's been a long day, huh? Leah sniffled. I don't know what happened. I'm so sorry. Someone was walking out, and the door slammed, and it was so loud all of a sudden. She was shivering in Maria's arms. You don't have to apologize, Space Case. You didn't do anything to anybody. I wish I was like you, Leah said. No, you don't, kid, Maria thought to herself. You don't know what you're asking for. So I got the thing for you, Maria said hastily into the phone. Dr. Qual sounded surprised. The painting? But the yard sale isn't for two weeks. Yeah, I had the day free, so we went up and I asked to see what they had. We? You and whom else? Dr. Qual sounded agitated, which bothered Maria. He had also used the word whom, which had mostly been used by assholes in her life. Leah, my roommate, she helped me with the driving. So, what do we do with it? Maria, you were given specific instructions. Yeah, you told me to get the painting and I got the painting. I brought two others, too, just because I didn't know which one for sure was the one you wanted. They all kind of looked the same to me. I had them give me a receipt, which made them feel weird because it was just a mom and she wrote it on a post-it. So I don't know if that'll be enough for you, but that was a lot out of pocket. Dr. Qualls took a long, deep, dusty-sounding breath. Maria, I don't think this is going to work out. Wait, what? What the hell did I do wrong? What about the money? Take the paintings to an art appraiser. You won't have to worry about money again for a long time. Excuse me? You're telling me that these are worth something? One is the landscape. It will sell at auction for 1.2 million. A million? I paid 30 bucks for it. How do you know about this? 
Maria, I cannot tell you, and I shouldn't have even told you that much. Hopefully that will be more than enough for your time and the inconvenience, and you can go back to your life and forget any of this ever happened. The conversation ended soon after. Maria stared at the phone and probably would have hurled it against the wall if she wasn't so constantly aware of how little money she had. Maria had never looked for an art appraiser before. There was a guy in town named McGrory who ran an antique shop. Townspeople said he showed up at estate sales, always in a neat, sober suit, like the final confirmation of death. His thinning hair was slicked tight against his skull, and he wore three chunky rings. Maria lugged the painting in, said a friend had asked to get an estimate on it. McGrory looked at it, smooching his lips out with doubt and disdain. He ran a finger carefully around the frame. I'll give you 50 for it right now, he said, shrugging as if $50 were nothing to him. As little as Maria knew about art, she did know poker. And a $50 play sounded like a lot more than he would offer for something worthless, but enough that he'd hoped she would take it and not ask questions. So without a word, she started walking out. This got the jerk off moving, and he ran after her to the door. Wait, wait, where did you find it? She kept moving, he kept offering. A hundred dollars, a thousand, cash, right now, please. Of course, once you'd been caught in a bluff, you can never buy your way out of it. Maria left McGordy with the quiet, sad tinkle of the door chime and the memories of the fortune he might have shared in if he hadn't been such a greedy liar. The curving roads look familiar now, far more so than just one trip should have made them. Maria drove them alone this time, antsy to be at her destination. The burden on her conscience wouldn't ease until she made things right. She arrived back at the Hackenmiller house at nightfall. As she approached the front door on the little gravel path, she thought about what Leah said about wanting a little house like this. They could have one. They could have had this one. Oh, well. You never got everything you wanted in life. She rapped on the door, knowing from the faint sliding and clinking sounds of a family around the dinner table that they were home. Pretty nice if that mom could still wrangle all those animals to the same table at night. She was the one to answer the door, and she seemed pleasantly surprised to see Maria again. Hiya, Maria said, unsure how much to say. Look, uh, this painting here? We figured out that it's worth a lot more than we paid for it, so, uh, you should have it back. The mom instinctively shook her head, tried to push Maria's concerns with a fevered, almost self-annihilating politeness. That's lovely to hear, but we don't need it. What you gave us was helpful. What I gave you was a pittance, Maria thought feeling the weight of guilt almost physically pulling at her. She set her feet firmly and said, Ma'am, I insist. We like the other two, and we're happy with the price we paid, 
but you need to take this to a professional and have it appraised. I looked up a couple and here are their phone numbers. The mom took the painting and the numbers, unwilling to push back further against Maria's firmness. Thank you. Isn't it funny? This was in the attic when we bought the place. How much do you think it's worth? I'm not an expert, but my understanding is that you shouldn't let it go for less than a million. Really, stand your ground on this. No less than a million. And with that, Maria spun and walked away, leaving Mrs. Hackenmiller alone and agog. Maria didn't drive home. She headed south, hugging the Atlantic Ocean most of the way, driving right through the night for New Jersey. She was too ticked off to be sleepy. She arrived before sunrise and found a bakery to stew at, jacking herself up on coffee and thudding her feet against the floor as she watched the rest of the world wake up. At 7.30, she was pacing around in front of the building where Dr. Qualls' office was and glared at the alarmed secretary who unlocked the main doors. She was sitting in the lobby, staring at the door, her mind beginning to stretch and twist with fatigue when Dr. Qualls finally arrived, punching the big square button on the all-access door and waiting patiently for it to grind open before rolling in. He had a little leather satchel in his lap and his hair was already going awry, like it just assumed this shape upon reaching the campus. What kind of crazy-ass test is this? she demanded, rising and stomping towards him. He stopped rolling and froze, looking alarmed. Finally, he made some kind of demented shh sound and gestured for her to follow him to the elevator. He would not speak again until they reached his office. Maria, I told you that we were finished. Was the painting not enough to compensate for your troubles? How could you send me out there to take a million dollars out of that poor family's pocket? What kind of asshole does that? Dr. Qualls choked on the first word of his reply. He seemed even more unprepared for her question than he had been for her appearance. They were never going to get the money. They were going to sell the painting at the yard sale two weeks from today at 11 a.m., and the buyer was going to get the million dollars. This way, you were going to get it instead. So what's the harm? What's the harm? They've got a sick daughter. Their house is falling apart. And you know they've got the answer to all their problems, and you didn't tell them? They were not the priority. Finding out if you could follow directions was something you are clearly terrible at. Hey, quack, I can follow orders, but I'm out now, so I don't have to do it blindly anymore, especially if someone orders me to do something terrible. What did you do? Dr. Qualls was finally raising his voice in consternation. What do you think I did? I gave it back to them, told them it was worth a lot. Jesus Christ, if you had been in their house, you would have done it too. Dr. Qualls pressed his fingers together for a long time looking at her. Finally, she couldn't take his gaze anymore. I don't care what the job is. I don't want it. Enjoy your games, Professor. She headed for the door, but Dr. Qualls asked, Wait, Maria, wait. She turned back around and looked at him. Forgive me. 
I can be a little programmatic at times. What I was just considering is that you have accidentally proven that you are even better for this job than I knew. And the truth is, I don't think I can risk the time it would take to find anyone else. We lost the chance to give you the financial freedom to do the job. But perhaps we will find some other way. Whether you realize it or not, you have already started doing the job. Now what I want to know is, will you let me tell you what it is and ask if you will see it through? What is it? Why? To save the future. A Sickness in Time by M.F. Thomas and Nicholas Thurkettle Narrated by Roseanne Sinclair If you love listening to this podcast, please leave a review in Apple Podcasts. Learn more about the novel by visiting www.sicknessintime.com